Within a podcast where we watch horror movies referenced in Scream. This week, covering Frankenstein. But like the the super old one. Yeah, OG <laughs> Frankenstein. I am Luke Patrick. Uh, I'm Jackie Salaji. We're covering, as always, for Sam while he's out on paternal leave doing Horror Hut instead, the podcast within a podcast, as mentioned. Uh, yeah, so what do we, what do we, what do we do? We watched possibly the shortest movie I've watched in like years, uh, 1931's Frankenstein, which is only an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, 70, 70 minutes, uh, can't beat that. Sam's not here to do it, but folks, if you're looking for another movie that's a tasty, easy, breezy 70 minutes, you can't do better than Yes, God, Yes, starring Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things. It's a great, tasty little indie produced number, uh, but much like that amazing movie, Yes, God, Yes, we did watch another 70 minute film, that being Frankenstein. Yes. Uh, starring uh, a bunch of people you've never heard of, except for Boris Karloff, probably. Yeah. Who was credited with a giant fucking question mark in the opening <laughs> credits, and I loved it. Everybody else got named. They're like the players, and then they list all the people in the movie, and then it gets to the monster, and it's just a huge question mark. <laughs> So I guess you're supposed to be surprised by, oh, it's Boris Karloff and a bunch of makeup. But I don't think he was a known actor, so I don't think it was like a a surprise twist. I think it was just like, you don't know him, <laughs> but you will. <laughs> yeah, I think he's mostly known for doing Frankenstein movies. I mean, now at least he is. He Well, that's what yeah, his but... Wikipedia page lists is like primarily known for doing the Frankenstein movies. Yeah, but I don't know if he was in anything before that. But like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a giant question mark. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which leads to our standard question. Jackie, what's your relationship to this edition of Frankenstein? Or do you want to talk about Frankenstein as a whole? Um, Let's do both. But do we want to cover why we're watching it? Well, I was going to ask that afterward, but okay. we can do that right now if you want. Sure. Well, either way. Um. But yeah, let's go with my relationship. Uh, let's do Frankenstein as a whole, because my relationship with this movie is non-existent. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> except that I did not realize how much of young Frankenstein was just this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, Mel winking Brooks at it. Sort of Thanks. winked continuously at this flick. Yes. Thank you, Mel out. Brooks. Um, but yeah, no, I mean... I, I've i been a nerdy goth chick my whole ass life, so in high school I was the one that everyone got mad at because she talked our English teacher into reading Frankenstein for class. Nice. Um, and I was very happy when he said yes. No one else in the class seemed to enjoy it nearly as much as I did. But yeah, um, I like the book. I have enjoyed many adaptations. Uh, Young Frankenstein, as previously mentioned. Obviously. Um, I think my, well, we've talked about this before, but my definite favorite being the Penny Dreadful portrayal of the characters. Mm -hmm. uh, listener, if you have not watched the Showtime television series Penny Dreadful, it's great. Uh, yeah, especially considering... Uh, well, really quick, yo, the podcast is doing numbers lately. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know how many of those numbers, uh, I think it's a lot of people listening to the back catalog, which is extremely exciting. But if you happen to be joining us now and you're pretty fresh to this podcast, just want to say thank you. Uh, obviously thanks for showing up. It's pretty inspiring to see so many, so many of you, uh, showing up, which is cool. But I was going to say, if you've been following this particular podcast within a podcast, you are probably interested in horror, if at the least. I would hope. I would hope so, too. So if that's you, Penny Dreadful, it's really good. Yeah. Um, super good. 
kind of hard to find streaming unless you happen to have Showtime. Uh, so now that I have a day job, guess what I am getting? <laughs> and we will have Showtime again. Uh, but yeah. Oh, the streaming their, wars. Their portrayal of Frankenstein brings me much joy. Um, I have uh, my favorite mad scientist in fiction is Dr. Jekyll. But uh, I have long had a pet peeve of portrayals of quote, mad scientist characters because so many adaptations these days feel the need to give them some kind of motive. Like, oh, I miss my ex, my relative or whatever and want to bring them back to life or save someone or something. And it's like, no, no, have you ever met a scientist? A scientist doesn't need reasons to do really dumb shit out of sheer curiosity. Receive Jurassic Park, like... Yeah, I mean, really, just about anything. Yeah. Like, if it's if it's a, a mad scientist doing shit because, like, they want to see if it'll work, that's a good mad scientist portrayal right there. Absolutely. It even goes down to, like, the boring stuff. Like, sci- what a scientist will do. Like, Charles Darwin studied barnacles for, like, ten years. Yeah. Just because he could, I guess. He said he hated a barnacle more than any other human <laughs> being in the history of human beings. Um, after 10 it, years after yeah. 10 years of it but yeah like i see your point scientists are kind of down to just like test a hypothesis yeah all the way through and i feel like penny dreadful did a really good job of portraying that in frankenstein's character yeah um and the actor uh, whose name i'm blanking on did a great job of playing it so yeah Anyway, uh, that's kind of my my relationship is largely with the surrounding IP rather than with this version. Um, And it was really interesting to see where the main pop culture version of these characters came from. Sure. How about you? Uh, Yeah, my relationship to Frankenstein, I feel like Sam would appreciate this, is almost exclusively through two IPs. So one is Penny Dreadful. As mentioned, great adaptation of Frankenstein. My only other frame of reference, though, is, in fact, the Mel Brooks Young Frankenstein. Hell yeah. Uh, Because that was... Mel Brooks was, like, a favorite of my family's growing up. like Blazing Saddles and um, Spaceballs and, obviously, Young Frankenstein. We were a big Men in Tights household. Yeah, weirdly, Men in Tights didn't rate in the Patrick household for some reason. Uh Maybe it was a little bit racier. I don't know. Don't really know about that one. Um, But Young Frankenstein, for sure, was like a... I wouldn't go so far as to call it a staple, but it was a known very funny movie. So if we were to watch a very funny movie, it was like that or Blues Brothers. was kind of Oh, so good. Yeah. So So should we be calling this movie Frankenstein for the rest of the episode? Frankenstein. I think I am going to, yeah. Yeah, Because it just doesn't feel as natural. Um, yeah, so basically, like you said, it was really cool to see the OG Universal 1931 version of Frankenstein because Frankenstein really does riff on it. Yeah. In some cool ways. And we can get into that. And honestly, shout out to Mel Brooks for making a parody that is hilarious even if you haven't seen the thing it's parodying. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, that movie, maybe we'll do it for the Patreon. It'd be kind of fun to watch Young Frankenstein now. That would be really fun. Um, yeah. So, more importantly, though, why are we watching this one? Because we only watch movies that are referenced in Scream. Yes. Uh, in the iconic video store scene where Randy rants about how stupid the police are, we are introduced to that scene with the it's alive bit of this movie. It's playing on the screens in the video store with the sound on, which kind of cracks me up. Nice. <laughs> so for once, I know sometimes with these movies, we've largely hit ones that are very oblique references. Or excuse me, that's not the right word. Uh, very, like, on-the-nose references. Explicit. Explicit. Yeah, except um, for Children of the Corn 2. Except for Children of the Corn 2. It's just a glimpse of a VHS. Yeah, overt, I think, is the SAT word I was looking for. There we go. Uh, There's an O. Overt references. Anyway. The lights keep turning on and off in this room which yeah. feels ominous when we're talking about a monster brought to life by electricity i'm just throwing that out there yeah we got some can light issues in the studio today so things are a little bit spoopy just a bit 
but nice. Glad to know that we're watching something that is like bang on in scream. Yes. Um, I mean, everything we have watched so far is, but like you said, Children of the Corn 2, kind of just a nod. Yeah. From the original Casey never material. got a chance to watch that one. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So, uh, I guess kind of quickly, if you want to burn through the plot of Frankenstein. Sure. All hour and 10 minutes. All right. Uh, Henry Frankenstein, for some reason. Uh, yeah, not Victor. No. Which is strange. Um, Henry Frankenstein is running around with Fritz. Who I am here <laughs> from here on out going to call not Igor or maybe not Igor uh, <laughs> is his hunchbacked assistant, but whose name is Fritz. I don't know why everyone decided his name was Igor. Because they went Fritz is dumb. His name is Igor. <laughs> I guess. Uh, I guess one of the sequels had a character named Igor played by Bella Lugosi, but was not a hunchbacked assistant. So, no, I just looked up his height. Bella Lugosi was a six foot one dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, like a real mensch. So <laughs> I don't. Anyway. Yeah. Not the right typecasting for a hunched back assistant. No. So uh, Henry and Fritz, neither of whom are named correctly, are digging up corpses to turn into a creature uh, and like cut down a hanged guy they're looking for a good brain primarily but they're just kind of stealing any bodies they can come across yeah um better to have it and not need it yeah than to need i mean it really not have it is it really gonna hurt to have some spare corpse bits mm-hmm. so uh we basically cut back and forth between henry i keep wanting to say victor between henry and igor not igor uh doing this and Elizabeth and Victor, who is, I guess, Henry Frankenstein's friend. He's like his, yeah, his best man type friend. His name is Victor Moritz. Yeah. For some reason. I don't know why they like gave him the Victor name, but whatever. So Victor and Elizabeth are off trying to figure out what's going on with Henry. He keeps shutting himself in an abandoned windmill and cackling during thunderstorms. Yeah. It's really weird. We're worried about our buddy. Um, so this is uh, Henry's fiance and his best friend. Uh, so they talk to Henry's professor from before he dropped out, who is like, he has been experimenting with dangerous experiments involving electrobiology. Uh, so the professor like joins them on this uh, like crusade to try to get their friend to stop being a mad scientist. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, uh, not Igor is stealing from said professor's laboratory for a brain and it is just the bit from young frankenstein with the normal brain and the abnormal brain and like he breaks the normal brain and has to steal the abnormal brain did not realize that was just (laughs) fully ripped from the original but um classic uh, so th- abnormal, yeah. <laughs> Abby normal, Abby normal. <laughs> so they get the Abby normal brain, which they later reveal is a criminal brain, and do not specify the crime. And I really want it to be jaywalking. <laughs> so yeah, uh, they the concerned friends group, the professor, the friend Victor, and the fiance like hammer on the door and insist on coming in during the thunderstorm when he's waking up the creature finally with the Abby normal brain. Uh, so they, it works. They mm-hmm. wake it up. <laughs> he's, he's alive. He's alive. And Henry gets to like, say, I know what it feels like to be God. And everyone is like, What's wrong with you? You're bringing corpses to life, man. It's weird. Well, you say that, but then in scenes immediately following, um, before they kind of figure out they need to do something about the monster, the doctor, his old mentor, is like ridiculously chill about all this because yeah. he's just sort of loafing around the old the old windmill with him. Yeah, and he's just like, "Yep, you brought him back. Let me look at your research. Let me fucking check those <laughs> those citations." Yep. Um. I mean, classic professor, like, only judgy until he knows that what you're doing is going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, then he wants, he wants a little it, bit of credit on that yep. one. So the creature is alive and comes lurching in eventually after, like, spending a few days in the dark. And first 
some reason after like meeting the creation and being like, oh, you seem nice. Not Igor just decides to wave a torch in his face and he like flails a bit and everyone's like, oh, he's a murder machine because obviously (laughs) flailing at fire that's shoved into your face means that you're a murder machine and need to be like chained up. Yeah. So they chain him up. So they chain him up. And then not Igor shows up with a whip for some reason and just starts randomly tormenting the poor creature. I think Henry even says the line is like, why do you have that? I think he explicitly (laughs) says that in the movie to not Igor. I feel like the whip. I mean, it's entirely possible you heard me say that and I was doing an impressive Henry impression because I definitely said that to the <laughs> I'm screen. I'm pretty sure somebody in the movie said that. Maybe. Yeah, anyway. Uh, but yeah, he it is. He does not need a whip. So he's tormenting the creature and gets fucking killed for it. Gets ganked. Gets got. Yep. Off screen. Off screen. It kind of looks like he's hanged um, when they see him later. But again... Yeah off-screen kill we only get like a glimpse through a doorway uh yeah this is 1931 fox pre-code yeah there's there's no on-screen violence really to speak of yeah not really um plus the creature who sorry i bumped the mic plus the creature who's killing everybody is in like probably pretty delicate and elaborate prosthetics and they at that point, they hadn't. They weren't very flexible back then. You couldn't do a whole lot if you were like really made up. So, yeah. um, you know, lower expectations on the violence front uh, in the horror context. But, but yeah. So he kills not Igor, and then the professor and Henry are like, "Oh shit, that's not good," uh, and try to like stop the creature from just barreling through the door and out of the windmill but they suck at it and then they're i think henry gets knocked out or something in the process henry's like beat up and then the doctor manages to inject the monster with a half grain solution of something yeah is what they say so the monster is out they think he's dead but dear listener, but he's made of corpses. You, yeah, you will have put together that it takes a little bit more than a half grain solution of whatever, yeah, to take out the monster. So they all, well, Henry's dad shows up with oh, the yes. concerned friends. How group. did I forget my favorite character, Baron Frankenstein? Baron Frankenstein is a delight, and I love him, and he's just fucking hilarious, and he just complains about everything. He's just an old curmudgeonly English guy, and it's fucking fantastic. I love it. Him, like, when he first comes to the windmill, he's like, ugh, why are you living here? <laughs> just <laughs> grumbling is, about it. And then, Well, I don't like it, but here we go. And he starts banging on the door. <laughs> and, like, it, it, even in the background while other people are talking, he's going up the stairs, he's like, there aren't even any banisters, what a- what are you even doing here? <laughs> like, it's, it's great. I love him. Um, but yeah, so he's basically here because he's like, kid, what are you doing? You've got a hot fiance. You're supposed to be getting married. Like, come home. Yeah, you're. Stop you were, living in an abandoned windmill. <laughs> you were born into the lap of luxury. You have a beautiful life ahead of you with this seemingly okay woman. Uh,. What are you doing in this windmill? The windmill thing really cracks me up because I think by by a lot of people's metrics, I looked it up and it actually isn't officially a small town, but by a lot of people's metrics, I grew up in a pretty small town, right? So in my head, Henry also grew up in this like nobility in this like tiny little German community. Sure. So it'd be like if I never left... I went halfway through medical school in my hometown, stopped, and then ran into an old abandoned windmill. Like, (laughs) it's not like he moved. Checked up in there and barricaded the door. Right. It's not like he moved far away to, like, live in an abandoned windmill. He just ran across the street. This is a pretty strong contrast (laughs) to Frankenstein, who, like, does travel. Travels very far. Yeah. No, I guess that's what I mean. It's just funny that he's like, well, he went a half a block away. (laughs) Now he lives in that old abandoned windmill. What the fuck? So you could kind of see people being like, dude, there's something wrong with you. And then he's like, mad, am I? You'll see. It's like, 
We're not doubting your corpse resurrecting abilities, man. We're just confused about your living situation. Yeah. We're confused by your choices. So yeah, uh, they they do convince Frankenstein to come home and he's like, okay, my creation knocked me unconscious and was kind of a problem. So maybe I should rethink my choices and go get married. Meanwhile, the professor sticks around to get murdered by the creature. To dissect a body created out of other body bits. What do you hope to discover, my dude? I mean, it would be kind of interesting to be like, what happens to decomp if something is like hmm. lightning resurrected? Yeah, I guess so. I would want to know. See, that's some real scientist behavior right there. 100%, yeah. Um so yeah, he he gets he gets murdered by the creature who yeah. is like in fairness, maybe not murdered cuz he was about to like autopsy him. So, hmm. arguably self-defense. Yeah, is it self-defense? If you are presumed dead and someone's about to autopsy you and then you'd kill an Emmy. Uh, well. I mean, the guy said like to Frankenstein at one point that we'll put the creature down. True. He, he definitely intended to kill him. Yeah. Whether, whether the creature knew that or not, I don't know. Yeah, very but, true. But yeah, there was definitely some ill intent there. So yeah, the creature kills him and wanders off Mm -hmm. into the world out into the wide world where he meets a little girl who is like i have flowers you're a stranger let's play together and she's like let's throw flowers into the water and see how they float and the creature's like oh this is awesome yeah he's having an amazing time he's smiling and it's kind of adorable Mm -hmm. he has a great smile uh, but he runs out of flowers and is like, what else can I throw in that will float? And he throws the child in the water and she does not float. She and does he goes, not float at all. And he's like, oh, that wasn't Oops. supposed to happen. <laughs> and kind of freaks out and wanders off. Yeah. Um, which becomes relevant later. Meanwhile, Frankenstein's getting hitched and his dad is toasting everyone and just generally being a hilarious character actor. Yeah, church bells are ringing, people in Lederhosen are flailing as it's, only the Germans can. It's very Oktoberfest out there. Yeah. Uh, and then the dad of the little girl finds her drowned and carries her very dramatically through the town. Uh and I guess everyone sees this and immediately jumps to the correct conclusion that the creature that was created by their local, like, lord's son mm-hmm. killed her. I don't know well, how it's, they it's bananas. This jump. I don't think they even know about the creature. They shouldn't. Although uh, Victor does come running to Henry and goes like, it killed Dr. So-and-so and is wandering the countryside yeah like, causing like, havoc there's some crazy leaps yeah. in the exposition so yeah the grapevine in this town is like completely off screen and very effective yeah which again small town i'm thinking it's a pretty small community yeah um, i think but, we saw all of them yeah i think we saw everybody in town yeah at the wedding uh so then what happens uh so then they also jump to the conclusion that the creature is in the house where the wedding is um, because they hear a slight growl. Well, they hear a... Yeah. That's kind of what the monster does. He just sort of sounds like... Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so they lock the fiance in a room for no reason and run around the house looking for the creature be- without realizing that obviously that means that the creature is in the room you locked her in. Yeah, I feel like um, Randy doesn't have... That's like in his Randy's rule book, but it's like an appendix. Like, like this shouldn't even be, need to be said. <laughs> right. Don't lock any doors if you're in a horror movie. Yeah, because you're, you're inevitably going to lock someone in with the monster. Mm-hmm. That's that's just how it works. Yeah, exactly. Um, So she just kind of gets scared by it. Uh. It's 1931, so she kind of just faints because yeah. she's so overwhelmed, I guess. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't know. I guess you could probably infer something else happening if you really wanted to, but there's not really anything to indicate it. Just Yeah, like, there's nothing at all. So I think she just sort of has a fit of uh, a peak of, of uh, hysteria, a peak of the vapors, and then sort of just tipples over. Yeah. So, um, so Henry is like, this sucks. I have created something awful. I'm going to join the mob of torch and pitchfork wielding villagers outside mm-hmm. and like take the lead and try to kill my creature so he does he like comes out and leads the mob into the hills by the windmill yeah which um, again okay so let's say you grew up in a tiny place the guy mm-hmm. lives in a windmill mm-hmm. resuscitates a bunch of sewn together body parts and then that thing which goes also- uh suggests that you probably recognize them as parts. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's Minan's face. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, this thing goes on a murderous rampage. And then no one seems to be really blaming old Dr. Henry Frankenstein over here. They're just like, hooray, you're gonna lead us. Let's make this happen. Like, they're all extremely chill about the fact that this asshole... But I don't know if they know that he did this. They could just be like, oh, Mm. this creature just appeared. Right. That's a good point. They may not have the full context. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's not totally... Because they're jumping to some conclusions, but we can't tell which conclusions. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's still pretty like, oh, thank God our rich kid that lived in abandoned windmill is like joining our mm-hmm. <laughs> hunt. Edward Scissorhands is here to lead the mob. Yeah. So they they like chase down the creature, but of course Frankenstein gets separated from the mob, ends up alone with the creature. The creature drags him into the windmill. Everyone sets fire to the windmill. The creature throws henry out off the balcony so that he lands on one of the blades of the windmill this is clearly just like a straw stuffed doll Mm -hmm. um so he flops horrifyingly in a way that you do not do if you are alive um and then uh i guess the creature just burns in the windmill yeah uh and henry frankenstein is like fine and well, we don't really see him in the end, but everyone seems very jolly and happy. Yeah. So everyone's like, "We should give him wine." <laughs> yeah, and then his. So we don't ever see him. We just see like a bed and his fiance by it in the background. Uh huh. And the good old character actor Baron von Frankenstein is there, and the the maids of the house are like, "Let's bring him some wine that his great or his yeah it would have been his great yeah his great grandparents stowed away." And then the dad's like, oh, there's no need to give him this. It's good stuff. And he drinks something. And that's Fiend. That's the movie. End of movie. Yep. Uh, which led me to go, what? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this to get in so a little amuse-bouche for the review section. We talked about this briefly, but uh, man, it really takes a little bit of time to figure out what to do with an art form. Mm-hmm. I reckon. And this is pretty early. 1931. We're like barely into talkies. Super early. Yeah. So I feel like between that ending and the very jumpy cuts. Yeah. We were talking about the editing throughout the movie. Like from the, in the first scene, there were a couple of jump cuts and I was like, am I see? am I like having a seizure or are they doing jump cuts like i feel like i'm missing time just like a couple seconds here and there and but there were others later in the movie so it was not just me no um it's very jarring they definitely i mean in fairness they were working with like physical film and didn't really have a lot of experience with it at the time absolutely not a judgment just like man it's weird to watch like a very old movie what did this thing be? 90 years old at this point? Coming up on uh, 100 years old? Yeah, we're getting close. Yeah. 93 years old? Yeah. Woof. Woof. $4 on Amazon, by the way. Still costs you 4 bucks. Yeah. You can rent the new Mission Impossible for $4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and get all them good, good, you know, now that we know what we're doing with film, you can get those good, good smooth cuts. 
and Tom Cruise leaping off of things on a motorcycle. Or you can take that $4, give it to Jeffrey Bezos, and he will give you Frankenstein from 1931. So, your choice. Yeah. Um, Anyway, what did you think of this thing? Oh, I this it's really <laughs> it was fascinating. Yeah. Honestly. Like I spent the whole movie looking at it going like this is all of these tropes that I have been very familiar with my whole life, but they're not quite the tropes that they become. Yeah. It's like proto trope, but everyone attributes the actual the final tropes to this movie. Yeah. So it's it's weird. Like the fact that it's Fritz instead of Igor, the fact that it's Henry instead of Victor Frankenstein, the fact that Henry led the mob instead mm-hmm. of being cackling mad scientists barricading the doors against them. I don't know. Just a lot of like things that are counter to the versions of these tropes that I know. Yeah. Uh, but fascinating. Yeah. I would say this movie is neolithic yeah (laughs) we're encased in amber if i could steal a few more words um and reference another mad science experiment sure yeah let's throw in another jurassic park reference Mm -hmm. um yeah this movie's like like you said like a weird little like proto time capsule yeah that contains so much of the dna of what was to come uh, but I really like that we nailed down that it's 93 years old um, yeah. because holy shit, like they did a lot right for it being a 93 year old movie. Yeah. Oh, how, yeah. Like I don't, there are some things like the editing that I'm kind of like, wow, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. And some of the acting choices are weird. Oh yeah. The but- acting is, is but oh it's bizarre it's It's almost worth watching the movie just to see the acting because i think the acting for me is the biggest indicator that we did not know really what film does you know i'm really glad you brought up talkies because i wonder how many of these actors were silent film stars yeah yeah i looked them up all of them were silent films that explains a lot yes absolutely yeah they all transitioned from doing silent films into talkies uh completely so um because yeah there there's a lot of like look at my face from this angle while i talk but like not i don't know it's 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 very unnatural deliveries um and i know naturalistic acting wasn't as much of a thing back then but it's even further than like yeah. Like the noirs that we've watched and stuff like that. Like it's yeah. even more. I think it's really interesting to contrast this with other films from roughly the same time period. Like let's say the 40s. Like by the time you get into Bogart movies. Yeah. Um, like war movies. Uh, like not like Saving Private Ryan, but like <laughs> Casablanca. <laughs> like things that were sure. made during the war. Um, because... My point is not that, like, man, we didn't know what we were doing until 2010 or something. Like, no, we figured it out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, But it's just, I don't know how many movies I've seen from this early in the 30s where, yeah, it's bizarre to see some of these these deliveries, these line, del- these line reads. But you got to remember that, like, stage acting, which obviously is a, like, dramatically different thing. But stage acting has always been a thing. So yeah. presumably they like natural acting, you know, there were really rare, amazing acting talents out there on the stage. And I just I would love a breakdown, a like historical breakdown of like why it is that they deliver lines the way they do in this yeah. movie. Because <laughs> it's very uh not organic. Um yeah, yes. there's a lot of dead line deliveries, dead on arrival. Yeah, and like, we, I guess, I feel like if you watch a, a more modern movie, the actors interact directly at all times. Yes. So like, they are reacting to each other throughout. And even if they're not like on camera at the same time, you 
you can always get the sense that they are in the room together and reacting to one another. Yeah. You don't get that for most of these actors. They're like, oh, it's my turn for a close-up. Okay, now I'll give a, a face and then yeah. and a line read. And everyone else stops to let them do it. Yeah, get out of my way. I have a line to deliver. And then someone else goes, no, 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 it's it's my time for the close-up. I'm ready for my close-up. Yes. So it's it's jarring from a modern perspective. Yeah. So, but I can see, like, the, the remnants of the silent era in it, Ooh, definitely. That's a good point, because in silent movies... You would have the close-up and someone would go, and then you get the little title card yeah. saying exactly what they said. It ha- it was it had to be turn-based because yeah. you needed the the cards. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just weird. It's a very weird to a modern art modern modern audience to a modern <laughs> art audience. It's a very strange watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about it as a horror movie. Okay. I think it actually does, like even by modern standards, a pretty good job, specifically with the monster. Okay. Yeah. Can you elaborate? I will. Because when the monster first shows up, like the doctor's like, you've made a horrible thing, Henry. It's evil. We have to kill it. Uh, Despite him doing the monster that is having done nothing up to this point. No. (laughs) Other than sit around. Yeah. (laughs) The monster shows up. I mean, Boris Karlov walks into the room backwards for some reason. Uh, and then he turns slowly. We get these big, dramatic, uh, like, uh, what's the word? Not a, something obscura. Anyway, these, like. Curas. 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 Yeah, that thing. Curas guru. Yeah. Uh, like Words. <laughs> we do them for a living. It's fine. Um, these, like, really dramatic shadows all over his face. The makeup is impeccable. The makeup is fantastic. They just did, like, for as far as, like, creature design goes, I feel like they did a really good job. Like, if yeah. you had no context for what Frankenstein looks like in your head. Yeah, which is really hard to imagine because yeah. we were seeing pictures of this version of Frankenstein, like, forever. Yeah. Or close enough, like, the cartoony versions of this. Absolutely. The green flat top bolt neck dude is yes. iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think uh, as far as like introducing a horror element into the movie, uh, that was beautiful. The apparatus that Henry uses to bring the corpse to life is gorgeous and Mm -hmm. apparently literally includes a Tesla coil built by Tesla. Yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) Which is just, what? Um, Yeah, I don't know. What do you think of this as a horror film? I think it holds up pretty well. I mean, I'm not, like, scared by it, but I'm, oh, yeah. like, I'm not scared by most modern horror movies either. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make them not horror. But I think, I mean, it's got the gothic DNA from minute one. Yeah. I mean, we open on a, a graveyard with crooked graves and a skeleton standing there for some reason. Yeah, which made me laugh very hard. <laughs> and like it just it feels like classic gothic horror and that makes goth me very happy. Um and and yeah, throughout throughout the movie we've got a threat that is pretty unique at the time if you've if you we're seeing this movie for the first time it would probably be very distressing to look at this creature because he does not look normal he doesn't look like right yeah like there's an uncanny valley kind of aesthetic to how he's just off from human Mm -hmm. in these specific ways that are very specific, and I find that really interesting. Like the bolts in the neck and the top of his head being flat, like those aren't just. Well, what if we make him pale and unhealthy looking? Yeah, like they they are specific choices that the makeup artist made that make it like there's something going on with this dude. Yeah, and it's 
unsettling or I, I could see it being unsettling if yeah. it weren't something I was so used to. I forgot you you did not mention a very important piece of the plot. What's that? Which is the first three minutes of this movie because it does not begin with the graveyard scene. It begins with the guy walking out on stage and oh, saying yeah. the producer of this movie. Oh my movie, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> the producer of this movie wants me to warn you <laughs> That what you see made it's like a carnival barker. He's like, it's great. He's literally on a stage in front of a curtain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, what you see may distress you. It may disturb you. And so you and I just kind of looked at each other like, oh, nice. <laughs> We're in for it now. It's like uh, that scream or not scream the uh, psycho trailer that you dug yes. up, where Hitchcock's just wandering around the uh, the Bates house. <laughs> Just being like, and this is where, oh, well, I won't tell you that part. It's too distressing. Yeah. And he moves on and, oh, something else happened here, but it's quite unnatural. So good. (laughs) So dumb. Tell me details, Hitchcock. (laughs) Anyway. Yes. You make an excellent point. They did warn us. And Mm -hmm. he basically, he does this like shrug at the end that's like, well, if you stick around. Yeah. You were told. Yeah. So. (laughs) Um. Oh my god, that was so good. So yeah, that they it has to be a horror movie because they tell you that it's a horror movie. At the yeah, I think more modern horror movies should do that. Have a guy with a pencil thin mustache <laughs> walk out in a tux at the beginning of the movie. Like, can you imagine Hereditary? Oh my god, I would love that. <laughs> what you may see will disturb you. Mike Flanagan, if you're listening for some reason, please do this at the beginning of whatever your next project is. Yeah. Because I feel like you would be on board with this aesthetic. Yeah. Um, two things. One, Mike Flanagan, if you are listening, fuck yeah. Email us at hanksypanksypod at gmail.com. <laughs> please do. And tell us how the hell you got here. And two, uh, they basically did do this with Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Yes. Where oh, Guillermo yes. is this the sweet. Mexican teddy bear wanders out onto the stage and is like, I have a bunch of things that are really creepy. (laughs) It was so good. And also Guillermo del Toro wanted to uh, do a Frankenstein remake and Mm. it fell through and I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah. Also another great rack if you're into horror. I actually like. Although I think maybe he's back on it i don't know oh. i've been hearing a lot of back and forth about things like this yeah um but cabinet of curiosities is on netflix it's from it's like an anthology series from guillermo del toro so good uh man is it good they really stick with you each episode's a new story and they're all fantastic um we are full of recommendations today we have yes god yes <laughs> for a tasty 70 minute uh journey starring natalia dyer and then uh Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful if you have Showtime and then of course everybody's got Netflix so yep. go watch Cabinet. Um yeah, what else is there to say about Frankenstein? Uh I'm trying to think I there's so many just like little things that jumped out at me watching this, but I feel like I've covered most of them. The acting, I feel like the the most extreme perpetrator of the acting weirdness was elizabeth who kept just looking into random corners of her room (laughs) while she delivered her lines yeah Uh, she was not even staring off into the middle distance midwest style she was just sort of like no she was looking at a corner she was looking at a spot like there's a fly on the wall and she's tracking it while she delivers her lines um it it was very distracting. I don't know why. Uh, and then when the creature attacks her, she has this scream against the wall where she like puts her fist next to her cheek and screams. And then it cuts to the creature and then it cuts her to her doing it again exactly the same. So we were not sure if it was the same cut. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> looked like they just used it twice. I yeah. don't know. but Or if it was like a second take of the same shot or something. Um, yeah. But... But yeah, not a complaint. It was a little distracting, but it added to the overall like flavor of yeah. the movie. So to be fair, she was doing what she could with what she was given and the direction she was given. Yeah. But I will say that she was the vehicle for one of the worst deliveries of anything I've ever seen in my life in a movie. Which is? Which is. Uh, so they're about to get married, her and Henry. 
and Elizabeth is like freaking out. And so Henry oh, walks yeah. into her room and is like, my darling, what's wrong? And she goes, forget it. It's a foolishness. And like does one of her famous looks in the corner line deliveries. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do tell me. And she goes, I'm afraid. I'm so afraid. So just like the about face from forget it. It's a foolishness to I'm afraid. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. In about two seconds. And there was so much eyebrow work in that scene. Oh, yeah. Just like going up and down. And it's like she was afraid of giving herself wrinkles if she did an expression using any other part of her face. But she had those pencil thin eyebrows that they had back then. And Mm -hmm. so she was working those as much as she could. Pencil thin mustaches and eyebrows. Folks, you needed both to be successful in the 30s. I'm going to get meta with it since we're kind of running out of things to say about Frankenstein. Go for it. We've got a little bit of time. So I have two things I want to bring up. First is, where do you think, or do you think, how to put this? So I'll give some context. I read a thing a long time ago about how Ryan Gosling may or may not be the greatest actor of our generation. And the problem is that in modern cinema, uh, sort of, it's the we, we take an anti-William Shatner approach to acting. Yeah. Which is that they've done studies where they have like a person's face and then they show you something else. The, the, and they say like the person's looking at this and they show you a photo. Then they go back to the person's face and they say, what are they feeling? And they've done studies where they do this and they'll show like the person's looking at an apple. And you go back and the person's like, oh, they look hungry. Mm-hmm. The person doing the study. And then they'll, they'll do that and they'll be like, oh, he's looking at a corpse or something. Sure. And they go back, and what emotion is he feeling? Oh, well, he's feeling sad. I was going to say hungry, but okay. <laughs> he's feeling hungry. What do you <laughs> get the fuck out of my study, you weirdo? <laughs> hey, man, I, I saw an autopsy once, and they literally told us before we went in don't worry if you start feeling hungry <laughs> because your body doesn't know. Your body just thinks it's meat. Yeah. You heard it here first. Uh, Jackie Salagi says we're all cannibals. But the best part of this was this is a room full of forensic science students about to see their first autopsy. Well, not their first for everyone. Um, About to see an autopsy. And they warn us that, you know, you might start feeling hungry, but that's normal. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. And this girl in my class goes, oh, thank God. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I want to know me. how long she had been walking around thinking she was like somehow cannibalistic. Yeah, she thought she'd gone full army hammer up in here. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, sorry, continue. Um, Looking at a corpse, feeling sad, Feeling not sad, not hungry. Um, and so their point about Ryan Gosling was that like he has mastered this like sort of neutral face he's got a really good command of his face Hmm. and so they're not sure if he's like doing really subtle micro expressions that really sell the moment or if he just has the perfect face for projecting whatever emotion you think he's supposed to be feeling onto ryan gosling right but the point being that that style of acting is more often than not i would say like the norm these days yeah overacting is extremely noticeable in a modern film yeah uh like jim carrey made a career out of it having a rubbery face Mm -hmm. was like really good for specific jim carrey comedic roles um so i guess my question is like i don't know do you what do you uh what do you think of that in comparison to what we saw tonight i do think it would be interesting to get someone from the 30s to watch a modern movie and Mm. see what they think of the acting that's such a cool concept yeah like get one of these folks one of these like talkies era they'd probably be like what are they they're not even doing anything yeah they're They're just saying their lines (laughs) they're not even working hard over there (laughs) yeah they'd probably jive with william shatner though you show them some original series star trek and they'd be like yeah now that (laughs) <laughs> that's the guy who's getting he's earning his paycheck over here yes um pausing in all the right places yeah <laughs> he gets it he's staring at flies on the wall <laughs> uh anyway so that's just my little like info question yeah i don't know i think it's an interesting question i think um there's there's definitely a lot of 
watching older movies, it is always interesting to see how standards and preferences have changed. Like mm-hmm. the delivering a line in the general direction of the camera, but like with your back to the person you're talking to mm-hmm. vibe is like a classic <laughs> noir kind of moment. Um, and in a modern movie, it kind of has to be a parody. Yeah. Like it works only in mostly in melodramas and stuff. Yeah. Which I would say this is a melodrama. Yeah. Like for sure. But it's so deep in the sauce and of its time that it doesn't come across as like hilarious. No. Anyway. Yeah. It it, doesn't because it well, it's not. It's not necessarily overdoing it because the actual material, the things they're reacting to are pretty extreme. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, they're overreacting. Like, oh, they're, oh no, there was, a, someone stole something. Someone yeah. stole a Maltese Falcon and everyone's freaking out. It's like, <laughs> no, someone resurrected a bunch of corpses and it True. killed some people. Like, yeah. That's worth having some reactions to. Absolutely. I'm really curious if you were to do a shot for shot, like the people that remade Psycho. Mm-hmm. And did it in the in 2024. Um, did a shot for shot remake of this version of Frankenstein. I feel like it would be absolutely mind blowingly hilarious, just because in a yeah. modern context, like you're saying, like these shots where someone's like in a close up, and the person they're talking to is literally behind them. Yeah, would be like it would be insanely funny. Yeah, um, there there are a lot of bits of. Like the fight scenes in quotes yeah. with the creature would be really funny if people did that, like recreated it on purpose. Yeah, or even the stuttery cuts. Ooh, yeah. Would just be, it would be, yeah, you, you couldn't do it today. You can't make films <laughs> anymore in 2020. Political correctness means you can't cut a movie together where you jump randomly in the middle of an Oktoberfest celebration. <laughs> from one section to another um yeah i just think that so i like what we've come up with which is one take a talkies actor mm-hmm. and show them like drive just <laughs> some random ryan gosling movie i kind of want to i don't know why i want them to watch john wick john wick would be great <laughs> let's get boris karlov in here and make him watch john wick <laughs> i think he'd enjoy it yeah um and then, uh, yeah, do a shot-for-shot shot remake of this movie so that we can have an absolutely, genuinely hilarious flick on our hands. Yeah, I would watch that. Yeah, that'd be fucking great. Um, the other meta thing I wanted to bring out really quickly, you mentioned it very briefly, but in this series, uh, the podcast within the podcast that we're calling Horror Hut, We've talked a lot about what is and is not horror in yeah. a very not snooty, very inclusive way. And you mentioned this super briefly, but uh, do you want to say any more about how just because you're not scared does not mean that the movie isn't horror? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is kind of my own personal crusade of like absolutely. people defining horror by what scares them, which is ridiculous because no two people are scared by the same things. Absolutely. It's just not how it works. So uh, I think that any number of things can make something into a horror movie. I think this movie, uh, there's a lot that contributes to what I would consider it making it a horror movie so some of that is like the gothic aesthetic Mm. we've got graveyards we've got skeletons in places that don't make sense to have skeletons we've got an old rundown windmill as one of the primary sets and it's a pretty awesome set to be honest it's very and there's lots of like ominous thunderstorms it's just that the vibes are very ominous there are some dutch angles there's all this stuff uh that just kind of aesthetically make it very classic gothic horror-y but we've also got grave robbing we've got corpse people we've got well one corpse person anyway Uh we've got uh i mean the the concerned friends trying to chase after him actually kind of reminded me of people in Psycho trying to look for Marion mm, Crane. Yeah, absolutely. The kind of mystery element, but 
the mystery is there's something weird going on. Like just something uncanny and not quite like healthy for everyone involved. And then we've got, I don't know, it's a lot of horror is based around tropes. And this is the trope originator for a lot of the big ones. Yeah. Down to the mad scientist uniform. Yes. Because the guy has it. Henry Frankenstein has the full mad scientist, like Dr. Evil. Yeah. Like the smock thing with like the high collar and And the the, gloves. The gloves. And yeah, it's great. And so it's, it's very much familiar to us, whether it would be scary or not. Uh, That isn't really the point at this point. Yeah. Uh, But also like, it has a lot of other... I mean, we've got kills. We mm-hmm. could talk about favorite kills if we wanted to. They're off screen because of and the era. They're not that interesting, yeah. But, I mean, we have the death of a child. True. We have... There's some pretty dark stuff in this movie. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's definitely interesting to... An interesting case study on yeah. the, what is horror front. Because it, I don't think anyone would question back then whether yeah, this was horror absolutely I mean, it was very clear cut they had to put a dude in a pencil thin mustache out on a stage and warn you to tell you you're about to watch a horror movie they didn't have a word for it back then so you needed a dude um yeah i think uh this movie a problem with this movie is that the uh specific subgenre within horror is like really poorly represented in today's market because i'm trying to think of what's another what's like a solid modern version of a monster movie because i feel like we get a lot of slashers hauntings possessions uh, found footage monster movies aren't really in vogue right now i don't think like yeah i guess if you're looking modern modern because like maybe the babadook yeah not that's more ghosty ghosty vibes. okay yeah we just don't go in for monster movies in the same way that people yeah. used to like this like monster movies it's, it's a whole thing the universal monster movies yeah and they like, tried to bring them back and yeah if they hadn't started with tom cruise i feel like it could have gone somewhere but yeah <laughs> for the second time callback we get tom cruise <laughs> in this episode um yes i am referencing the mummy remake which i actually kind of enjoyed until the very end and maybe willing to give another chance um but the ending pissed me off for reasons that are a whole nother podcast episode but the 1999 mummy is one of the greatest movies ever made yes it is uh and i posited the other day that it should show up for every award show and they just could keep (laughs) nominating it for things uh 30 years after it came out that would be fantastic uh if (laughs) in 2024 1999's The Mummy won an Oscar. That would be phenomenal. Yeah, it's 25 years old. Oh, God, I am old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to think of other... I mean, the Tom Cruise Mummy movie came out just a few years ago. Yeah, and it was a um, huge flop. It was a flop, but part of that was that they they were trying... They were pulling some Marvel shit. They were trying to start an extended universe. I see. A, overshot in a big way yeah Um, it was they made some weird choices uh some of which i feel like had potential like russell crowe was gonna be dr jekyll and mr hyde and Mm. i and we got like a scene of that yeah but why did he have to be in the mummy anyway that's (laughs) different conversation look it's the mummy said dr jekyll (laughs) yeah It was really annoying. <laughs> Phenomenal. They just shoehorned. Anyway, I'm I'm not against mashups. I'm a Penny Dreadful fan, okay? But you, you got to do them for a reason. You can't just do it to be like, they need to know this is the MCU Universal Monsters edition. Yeah. So, yeah, I... I think their attempt to bring back the Universal Monsters as an expanded universe is a pretty good example of why, like, we don't get a lot of these. And I think I think part of it is, I don't want to, like, get 
too like deep in this because I think some of it is just fads but I don't think modern audiences are that scared of physical threats unless they're overwhelming so we occasionally will get like we just had a new Godzilla movie. Yes, absolutely. And so there, there's occasionally like kaiju movies and we'll get like zombie movies or something where there are hordes of them. Yeah. But a human-sized monster, I think a modern audience would just be like, there are too many people in my neighborhood that own guns. Yeah. Like, it's harder to take it seriously as a threat. Sure. Uh, whereas ghosts and demons, things that are like less corporeal, feel like more of a threat because you can't actually do much about them. Yeah, because the Babadook, like there's nothing supernatural about the Frankenstein's monster. Like yeah. they go to great no. lengths to show you. <laughs> it's that, science. It's science. Yeah, they go to great lengths to show you that. Excuse me. Um, whereas like the Babadook or whatever is supernatural in origin or krampus like as we looked at krampus Mm -hmm. for our christmas episode like krampus is supernatural it comes with a horde of minions yep um so here's what i'm thinking i'm thinking that it's not so much that monster movies themselves i i don't think they land with a modern audience but I also don't think they have to because the DNA of what was like planted back in those days has been like re-sown into other like avenues within horror. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So like, no, we don't get like straight up monster movies, but we do, like you said, get kaiju movies. I was um, going to say, I think the closest, not mo- 40 or so years ago is not modern. Okay. But... uh. <laughs> Or to us, 30, it is God whatever. Damn it. <laughs> um, but I'd say Jurassic Park is basically mm. Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. But we had to give him bigger teeth, big teeth, and throw a dead goat onto a jeep and scare me as a little kid. That um, was creepy. That was, was a scary <laughs> scene. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like you just you disassemble the stuff that worked for monster movies in the 30s. You can kind of see the through lines in more modern stuff. And I think you're totally right. Jurassic Park. Michael Crichton kind of ripped off Frankenstein when you think about it. Um, yeah. I don't think that was a secret. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was like pretty explicit. Like what if Frankenstein but with dinosaurs. But was fucking big lizards. Oh, they're not lizards. They're dinosaurs. <sighs> I feel bad. That was a bad joke. Bad joke. But they um, didn't know that at the time. That's like when they figured out that they were birds, right? Because mm-hmm. like, I at least I read on Tumblr, so clearly a, a reliable source. Yeah. That uh, there were some theories about the bird uh, theory, but that a lot of the evidence actually resulted from advances. Uh, helped along by the research and money poured into the movie jurassic park because they wanted they were like they wanted models of how the dinosaurs would move so they were getting paleontologists like computer tech to allow them to model this stuff and then they were like that moves like a chicken so (laughs) (laughs) they were like maybe these bird theorists are onto something yeah that's a whole other podcast for me a known paleontology nut uh, and that is not sarcasm. I am bananas for the Carboniferous. I have yes. a shirt that says so. You left your heart there. I left my heart in the Carboniferous. Is a shirt I own and to wear. Um, but yeah, I will leave that for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, sorry, uh, derailing things, but I still think it's it's a modernish yeah. equivalent. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, they are still making them. Yeah, thanks, Chris Pratt, for I don't, keeping that I don't know franchise if we alive. Still consider them horror. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the original was. Yeah, that's that's a whole other question. Um, anyway, we're running along. So, do you have anything else that you want to say about Frankenstein before we maybe get on out of here? I don't think so. No. Okay, it's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic. I would say check it out. I mean, it's only an hour and ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, which is like a third the runtime of Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> so you could absolutely peep it. Uh, it takes no time. 
anyway, thank you so much for listening to another Horror Hut while we uh, eagerly await Sam's return from parental leave, but not too eagerly. We're going to give him his time yeah. with the wee baby Keanu. In the meantime, we'll be here. We'll keep watching stuff and keep reporting back. If you would like to follow us on the socials, just Google us. I think we're Hanksy Panksy Pod or Hanksy Panksy on most of them. I, Sam knows these details. I don't. Uh, we are not on Twitter, though, because Elon Musk is actively trying to make Jurassic Park. Uh, and uh, I think some modern classic is uh, that Tom Cruise mummy movie. Um, so we aren't on Twitter. But uh, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash hanksypanksy. You can get a whole bunch of groovy content over there for like a fourth of a latte or something like that. It's like basically nothing. And you get a whole ocean of me and Sam doing just all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then hopefully soon some Horror Hut content. That'll be cool too. Uh, and if you give us enough money, you can be one of Hanks' heroes. That's took. That's Daniel. So thanks, fellas. Uh, this week, let's see. I would absolutely let you lead a mob if you wanted to lead a mob. Uh, seems like you guys would be qualified for that. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Next week, uh, we're going to do... What did we decide? I have already forgotten. Fuck it. We're doing Silence of the Lambs. That's right. That's what it was. <laughs> okay, good. Glad it's the one we picked. <laughs> We'll be doing Silence of the Lambs next week, which is going to be really interesting. So anyway, come back and check that out. Hell yeah. Do you have a final quote for Frankenstein? I do. It's said by Boris Karlov as the monster, and it is... Good job. Yeah, that's it. Okay, see you next week, folks.